Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash ConVo. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Again, onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepasswordcom slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's up 
liftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. I'm Mike Vardy, and this is the Productivityist Podcast. Mike Vardy here, and welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. This week on the show, I talk with the author of the forthcoming book, The End of Jobs. And no, this is not uh, another Steve Jobs autobiography or expose or whatever. It's, it's literally about how the term job, as we know it, has changed and what we can do, um, you know, to kind of move past that. So, there's a lot of great testimonials that have come along with this book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, because what happens is I started talking with the author, Taylor Pearson, and we got into some of the productivity practices that he uses in order to write and how he breaks up his day. And then we shift over to, you know, some talk about how one can, you know, what can what someone can expect in the book. Um, you know, we talk about the theory of constraints, and I'm a big believer in, in constraints. Uh, you know, there's the uh, stair-step method he talks about. Um, basically to give you the, the skinny on this book is that entrepreneurs need to understand that there is a new paradigm out there, a new business paradigm. And those that understand it have been able to kind of create a new way to work and, and as he says, unprecedented wealth in their lives. And that can be, uh, that doesn't have to be monetary. I mean, I'm, I think I'm kind of following down that path as well. So I don't want to spend any more time, uh, talking about, me and how this relates to me because we get into that during the interview but i just want to dive into the discussion so let's dive into the discussion with taylor pearson the author of the end of jobs here on the Productivities podcast enjoy i have taylor pearson with me here uh, on the podcast taylor thanks for joining me this week Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. So you're the author of the forthcoming book, The End of Jobs, which um, is is a wicked, wicked title, uh, but it doesn't really mean like no one has to work ever again, right? No, so I think... Because <laughs> <laughs> that would kill productivity and then I'm, I'm done, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> we have a, I guess it's like the transcendence of productivity. <laughs> Everything becomes so productive. Um, no, the kind of the concept behind The End of Jobs is that We've reached this point uh, societally and individually where a lot of the technological innovations and globalization have brought us to this point where um, work as we've kind of traditionally seen it in this industrial factory sense of um, someone is going to come in and tell you what to do and you're just going to kind of follow the rules um, isn't really valuable anymore. That there aren't any good positions left where you can come in and just um, follow the rules that the rules have changed in that sense. So there's a, a new leverage point and it's the people that are creating systems, they're creating, they're innovating, they're connecting. Um, and those are increasingly the, the valuable positions and the valuable work that both, uh, the economy needs and also that, um, creates kind of more personal wealth, more freedom, uh, more independence for the individual. Well, one of the things I want to dive in today, oddly enough, is we talked about this. We did a bit of a back and forth via email is, the idea of how you managed to get this, like what you've learned, like the productivity philosophies, you kind of learned these principles through the 
art of and the act of writing this book because I mean I've written a couple books at this point. I'm working on my next one now, um, which again is a struggle. I think it's a struggle for anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, I've talked to Todd Henry about this. I've talked to a bunch of people where you literally have to have a framework set up so that you can accomplish this thing. Um, so can we dive into a little bit of that? Like, you know, like how, I mean, cause you've got other things going on, right? Like you just couldn't stop and write the book. So how were you able to uh, end some of the other stuff you had to do, or at least put it on pause so you could work on this stuff to work on the book? In terms of getting started, I think my number one rule is, once you kind of make the decision. So once I decided it was worth it to write the book, it made sense. Um, I just found ways to get started right away, even in like very small ways. Um, so I would just start blocking out kind of 30 minutes at the beginning of each day. And at, le- at least for me in the mornings, that's kind of my prime creative time. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to set aside time to do something creative, I would just block out 30 minutes. And then, you know, gradually um, I would kind of taper down my other commitments you know, so I went from 30 minutes to an hour, an hour to two hours, and eventually got to the point where I could spend two or three hours in the morning uh, working on the book and push kind of my other projects into the afternoons. Um, or sometimes later in the week, I'd work on the book, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when it's, I kind of tend to have my best energy. I'm coming off the weekend, and I'm kind of relaxed and energized and put the focus time in then. Uh, and then kind of towards the end of the week when I wasn't as energized, could do some of the other things I had going on. So you basically went to this modality of, okay, this is what I'll focus on for these two to four hour chunks. This is the mo like I'm in book writing mode. Like there's nothing that's going to pull me away from this. And then, I mean, I know when I've come across this, I go into that mode and then I need to have those low energy tasks, like right after we're done recording today. And I've got a bunch more recording to do. Um, the lawn desperately needs to be mowed here. So I mean, <laughs> that's a low energy task for me. So I'll go out and do that. Is that kind of how you balance it off by saying, okay, I'm going to expend all of my energy focused on this particular thing. And then I'm going to give myself either the reward of a task that's, that's not going to be as taxing or something that's enjoyable. Yeah. So I do. Um, I know you use high normal and low energy. Is that kind of how you prioritize tasks? I, I use, I use them as modes, right? So I mean, okay. if I'm at high, I don't really prioritize them by, by, okay, I have high, I, 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 I focus on mode-based work. So for example, if I'm feeling high energy, I'll look at all the tasks that I know will require higher energy to do, whether it's writing a book or, you know, working on my taxes. So, I mean, that's kind of how I define it. That's how I look at it. So I'm very much uh, the same way. The things I noticed writing the book were I actually use um, maker, manager, and administrative time. So I would guess those map pretty well to kind of your high normal low modes. But I, I stole it from Paul Graham who wrote this essay called uh, maker schedule, manager schedule. And if you look at someone that's like a professional manager and they spend a lot of time managing people, usually their schedule is broken up into like 30 minute or one hour chunks. You know, they do a lot of meetings and answer some emails and then meeting, meeting, meeting. And if you look at someone that's a maker or someone that's uh, creating something, they need these like long, uninterrupted periods of work. And for me, it's usually, usually about two to three hours. After about three hours of focus on one task, I just kind of, uh, the brain juice empties for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I would divide it up. And I tended to do, at least for me in the mornings is my maker work. And then in the afternoons and evenings is, uh, my manager and administrative work. And then it also, for me, seems to taper along the course of the week. So, um, Monday morning, you know, 8am when I sit down and start working, that's my highest energy moment of the week. So I'd put the kind of the biggest section. If I was working on the book, like the big challenge of the book that week, I would front load uh, and then kind of as the week would go on, move down into the, the maker or the manager and the administrative work that had to get done. 
Now let's talk about this thing you, you mentioned in, in some correspondence, this creative work debt. I like this idea. Can you can you kind of explain it to, to the listeners? Because I could try, but you're going to do it way better than I could. <laughs> yeah, so one thing, um, this was kind of the first big writing project I've undertaken. I'd, uh, I've been blogging and writing articles for three or four years, but I never sat down and done like a, a really uh, a big project like a book. Um, and one thing I realized was um, I would get into this mode of, you know, maybe I'd work on it for three hours or I'd been working on it over the course of the week. Um, and I'd be working on the book and I could tell like the ideas weren't really coming. I sometimes I'd type things like, you know, this is true because I say so. Like really obviously inane stuff that uh, you can't put in a book. Um, and I would have to like come back and correct this stuff later. Um, so I found like generally 15 to 20 hours a week was like the most high quality book writing maker time I got. And that anytime I tried to push myself past that barrier, instead of like helping me get a little bit more done, it wasn't even incrementally less valuable. It ended up being, you know, what I called creative work debt, which is I'd have to come in the next week. And like, not only did I have to um, do the work that I had slotted for that week, I had to go fix all the stuff I messed up when I was like trying to push through and like do this extra work last week. And the manuscript ended up getting worse. Um, and like recognizing that concept, which is like, okay, like I've just like hit the limit. There's nothing good coming out of the session and, uh, walking away, uh, actually made the book move faster, even though I was working on it less time. So you basically, I mean, again, this is about awareness, right? And I think a lot of my listeners are, 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 that's what you really, I think in this process, you start to have that awareness foster. I mean, you talked about like only knowing that you have about 15 hours of like real high level creative work in, 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 in yourself per week and then saying, okay, you know what, if I try to push through this, the, the quality is going to suffer. So, I mean, how did your awareness increase the more you worked on this big project? Because like you said, it was, this is your first big one that you've kind of worked on, right? It is. Um, well, I think once I realized it was happening, that was kind of a, a turning point moment for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it also kind of forced me to just get very realistic about um, deadlines and scope. I'm a, a very large proponent of setting deadlines. Um, I very much believe, you know, constraints drive uh, creativity. I've heard this really great story about the Ramones, who are one of the first punk rock bands. And basically they invented punk rock because they only knew three chords. So they had to figure out songs they could play with just the three chords, and that's kind of how punk rock came about. Um, and like that, that kind of same concept of creating the constraints and using that to fuel the creativity. Um, it was interesting that as I was going on the course of the book, um, and I knew I only had 15 hours a week to really spend working on the book, or sometimes less depending on other commitments. Um, things happened with the book. I would restructure it. I would move this section around. Um, and I never would have figured out that solution if I hadn't been um, forced into those kind of time and energy constraints. I want to get back to the, the maker manager, schedule manager bit, because I think it's interesting as we can tie that into your book a bit. I mean, you talk about the end of jobs, right? Like how we can kind of craft what, you know, what we're looking to do with our, you know, we, we don't necessarily have to you know, like nothing exists the way it's currently existed, like growth and wages have all stopped, all that stuff you talk about in your book. When you look at the habits that you built writing this book process, you know, like the the maker, schedule manager, you've kind of encompassed a lot of the different tiers that a typical, you know, corporate structure or, or company structure would entail. So how how do you suggest people kind of when when they're trying to get into 
being more productive and accomplishing more of they, what they want so that they can, you know, maybe make a change, whether it's just, you know, moving into their own business or, or maybe just changing the role that they have with, with work. Like what, what recommendations do you have? Do you recommend saying, Hey, do divide your time up as such? Like, because th- I think that there's some real value there. I am a, the maker manager is a recommendation I give to a lot of people, um, especially in like the number one kind of productivity trick when I tell people if they don't already do it is um, do one important, non-urgent, and uh, Stephen Covey has that uh-huh. matrix, but yeah. something that is moving uh, your business or your job or your life forward in a meaningful way before you check email, um, before you do any reactive task in the morning. And even if that's only 30 minutes or an hour, um, kind of the compound interest on that over time uh, is really rewarding. And I think just at the end of the day, being able to look back and say, even if everything went nuts and there were tons of fires um, and everything was kind of crazy, at least having that, you know, 30 or uh, 30 minute or hour, two hour block in the morning to move things forward is really valuable. Um, and kind of just this internal sense of progress that I think is really important. The other thing that I think uh, certainly has been a big part of my journey writing this book and um, realizing over the last few years is that a lot of times the the difficult work is difficult in an uh, in an emotional way, right? It's kind of like this, not necessarily it's difficult to sit down and do, but this fear of kind of putting yourself out there. Um, you know, I, I certainly have like lots of fears right now around like, is anyone going to read this book? Or, you know, are they going to call me a charlatan because, you know, this section doesn't make sense? Or, um, you know, who am I to write this book? Um, and pushing through those kind of barriers, I think, have been, have been really big productivity games, but isn't necessarily something that gets talked a lot about in the world of productivity. Now, why did you write this book? I mean, we've seen books where, well, it's interesting. I, I talked to John Acuff a few a few episodes back where about do-over. So it wasn't about leaving his jobs, but like kind of just doing a, a building career, uh, a career savings account and stuff like that. And we've seen this happen. We've seen this before. I mean, what is... What's the difference between this book and some of the other stuff we've seen out there? Because we're seeing a lot of these books come out that talk about, you know, career changes and, and what, what people can do. Like, why did you choose to write about this top, particular topic? I think one thing, and I, uh, I've read John's book and I, I like a lot of John's stuff. And I know there are a lot of people that are talking about this. And what I found very unsatisfying and why I read this book is people kind of start from this assumption of um, – everything is changing. Like there's kind of this obligatory section at the end of the introduction of every book where it's like, um, I was reading Darren Hardy has a new book out called the entrepreneur roller coaster. And he's like building up the momentum and he's talking about the introduction. He's like, you know, I'm sitting, I'm the publisher of success magazine and I'm like seeing the world of business from behind my desk and everything is changing. And I'm going to explain to you, uh, right now why it's the best time to go out and do something. And he says, because it is, and just go. And he doesn't really dive into like what it is actually going on. Um, and that was what was unsatisfying to me. I don't think anyone's made a really strong case for on a macroeconomic level. Um, what is changing about the nature of work and the nature of the economy and how does that impact individuals? Um, and what should we be doing about this as individuals in our careers, uh, in our businesses, um, to prepare for those changes and to position ourselves to um, not just manage them, but take advantage of them. I want to hear you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the stair step method, because productivity is often all about small measured progress, right? As, as we've talked about, can you touch on that a little bit? Cause I know you mentioned that in the book. 
Yeah, so the stair-step method was uh, an idea I picked up from a guy named Rob Walling. He's a software entrepreneur. He runs a podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. Uh, and he's coached some people, and he kind of looked back over his career, and this is something I see in my career now, and I see a lot of people that um, they stair-step their way up into better opportunities. So I think when people think about starting a business um, or launching a big project, there's kind of this like overwhelming, daunting sense of like, you know, how will I ever – get this done. And really, when you look at people who have successful businesses and successful careers, even, you know, like wildly successful people, there's always this very clear progression of how they stair-step their way up. And so I talk a little bit about kind of like the paths that are emerging, um, that people are going into apprenticeship roles with entrepreneurial companies where you go and work for a company um, that is kind of entrepreneurial in its DNA and you learn about you know, how does this company work? How do you run an entrepreneurial company or how do you run a, a small business? Um, and then ways to slowly go from working in a company to, you know, how do you step into consulting? Um, and then how do you get from consulting into uh, doing more products or doing higher level consulting? That this is a gradual process and it's not necessarily something that has to happen um, all at once. You know, like Elon Musk didn't pop out of the womb and found Tesla, that there was a, a process he and any other entrepreneur went through to get to that point. Excellent. And, and the final thing I want to talk about before you, because you, you've got an offer for our listeners that I definitely want to get to, is the other thing that, that I noticed, and, and this is all available on the book page, which will be listed, of course, in the uh, in the show notes, is you talk about the scientific research about balanced living versus integrated living and how embracing integrated living is, is going to be more beneficial over the long run. And it's funny, I've talked about like the idea of work-life balance, I think, is a myth, right? I think that shifting is, is probably, it's you're either going to shift or you just got to accept it blends. Um, so can you, I want you to touch on that a bit because I know a lot of the listeners and a lot of my readers too say, you know, I want to have work-life balance, but I think that even the stuff that I've talked about, and the, you know, the, the, uh, the now your formula and the stuff I've introduced has kind of said, look, you need to have something that transcends both because if you don't, then you can't, uh, make measured progress anywhere. You know, you're, you're too fragmented. Yeah, I think the thing that really stood out to me, if you look at some of the scientific literature that's come out in the past 5, 10, 20 years, um, is around the shifting demands of work. And so if you look at uh, Dan O'Reilly has written a lot about this, his book, uh, Predictably Irrational, mm-hmm. um, he kind of talks about when you're dealing with creative, more entrepreneurial type work, a lot of the traditional notions around work um, don't hold up. That like very simple incentive-based systems, which may work for industrial tasks. Um, you know, if you pay someone more, they'll perform better. That's not necessarily, um, and the research indicates that's not how more creative entrepreneurial works. That um, just putting in like grinding out another eighty hours um, or having these like clear incentives don't actually produce higher quality work. Um, and that it's people that are motivated by the growth, the meaning. Um, the freedom they're able to exert on their work that actually create higher quality work. And so I think when we approach work from this uh, mindset of like, this is something that needs to be balanced, like this is a disutility um, that I'm like having to put up with um, as opposed to this is an integral part of my life. We actually do lower quality work mm-hmm. um, both for ourselves and for the marketplace. You know, this this is I, I love where you're going with this stuff, and I, and I mean I can't, I can't wait to actually. Now the book is out when the book is out June 30th, right? Yeah, the book will be out June 30th. So that's when I'm going to pick up a copy, and everybody else is going to pick up a copy then too. But I 
think you can first off you can download the first chapter and there's a lot of other things you can get to you've got something that you want to share with our readers because as they're listening to this the deal is it's on right now i do so from june 15th to june 27th um I'm going to be doing a giveaway. So I went back and kind of in the process of writing and researching this book, uh, I read back over all the books that have made kind of a big impact on me and um, in my career and my journey. Um, and I picked my 67 favorite books on entrepreneurship. It was hard to get it down to that many, but it's still a lot. So I'm giving away uh, $1,300 worth of books. Uh, and if people want to enter to win, um, that's set up at taylorpearson.me slash winbooks. So there you have it, taylorpearson.me. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. Taylor, uh, where can people find you other than your website, taylorpearson.me? You're on Twitter. And, and where, where can people kind of see where you're writing regularly as well? So I write regularly on uh, my site. I have all my articles up there. And then I do hang out on Twitter. So if you like Twitter, um, please drop me a message. I always like to talk. I'm at C. Taylor M. Pearson. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to uh, reading the book, The End of Jobs. Uh, it is not the story of Steve Jobs' demise. It's, the, it's, it's as much as there's been there's too, been too many Steve Jobs books written lately, as far as I'm concerned. There's uh, a couple of those out, yeah. <laughs> uh, Taylor, thanks so much for not just sharing uh, your ideas uh, about productivity, but a little bit about what people can expect, uh, not just when they take on a massive project such as writing a book, but also what they can expect to find in your book, which is coming out uh, basically as this airs two weeks from now. Take advantage of that special offer, folks, okay? Uh, thanks again, Taylor. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on, Mike, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And that wraps up this week's episode of the show. Now, remember that you're getting a, a good morsel of the interview, but you're not getting the whole thing. Patreon supporters get everything that we do. Uh, on the show, they get to hear it earlier. They get their own exclusive feed. There's lots of perks. So if you're interested in supporting the show, please head over to patreon.com slash productivityist and join the multitude, the throng of people that are supporting the show. It will help me make the show better. Every single dime that we uh, have from our supporters goes back into the show. We're going to be going to podcast movement this year to learn even more. Uh, because I'm, I'm definitely going to double down on podcasting this year uh, and also going to do video. And, and I mean, Patreon supporters are now getting a m monthly video from me as well. And I'm going to be leveling that stuff up. And the more supporters I get, the more I can do. And I'd love you to be part of that. So if you like the show and you like the back catalog and you're curious as to see what we're going to be doing in the future and get that in advance as well, please head over to patreon.com slash productivityist and give whatever you can. There's perks at every single monetary level with, you know, every, every, every increment that we have. There's, there's different, different levels of perks. In fact, you can get the task apps made easy course uh, that I did with Steve Dotto at the $10 level or above. So um, check that out again, patreon.com slash productivityist. Uh, if you like the show and you can't give that kind of support, then give whatever you can. Uh, give me your opinions. Give me your feedback. Send your thoughts out uh, onto the internet, social media shares, uh, iTunes reviews, Stitcher, wherever. Let more people know about the show. The more people that know about the show, the more people can find me and the more people that can, can listen and get some more great interviews and great uh, tips and tactics and tricks all revolving around the area of personal productivity. I also encourage you to head over to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash productivityist, and like our page because there's some stuff going on there as well. And, of course, you can follow me on the Twitter at Mike Vardy and the 
the Productivityist brand over at Productivityist. So that's it for this week. Thanks again to Taylor Pearson for joining me. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, stop guessing, start going. We'll see you next week.